You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a bite-sized podcast that brings you real-world insights, which help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up to date on the latest trends. Join us as we share best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. I'm your host, Mithul Jha. Today's episode is made possible by Demand Matrix. Demand Matrix helps you complete your data stacks with technographic, intent, and revenue potential data to help you accelerate revenue. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Mithul Shah. Today, I'm super excited to talk to Matthew Koblenz about building and implementing competitive intelligence for sales. Matt has 20 plus years of professional experience in the area of information engineering and is skilled in data analytics, product management, sales and enrollment. Currently, he's a competitive intelligence manager at Salesforce, where he focuses both on sales and enrollment and product strategy. Following his passion for digital technologies, Matt decided to go back to graduate school to get a master's in library and information science to study latest technology. Matt, I'm really excited to talk to you and get insights from it. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. So Matt, I got I to gotta ask you this, you know, master's in library and information science and competitive intelligence. How, how, how does this, like, how does career kind of progress from grad school to where you are today? Well, that's a great question, Mithil. And if you look at where I was in my career progression, I had been practicing competitive intelligence for at least the past 10 years. And I realized that while I well understood the shortcuts and the techniques that were going on in competitive intelligence, I really lacked the academic and theoretical understanding of how people were actually using all this information, how they were making data-driven decisions or anything like that. And at the time, uh, I was also curating some 4 billion rows of data a week in terms of how the sales guys were competing, what we're looking for, pricing pressures, and all of those kinds of things. My daughter basically pointed out, she's like, Dad, you don't want to do data science and turn the crank. You're spending so much time with looking at how the people do stuff. You really should look at this information science program that she was also taking at the same time. And so ultimately, I, I went to the uh, university and found out that, wow, this really is what I want to do. And uh, I went in the direction of library science because it really is all about how people find information, how they use it, how you how you tag it, how you make it accessible, how you push it to people, how you measure it, um, and its effectiveness, all of those kinds of things. It was all really all about the people part. And that's really tied back into competitive because if you think about it, a salesperson who has all this information, how effective are they? How can I make them better? And that's kind of where that was driven from. That is so cool. So you and your daughter with together in the, in the same grad school or Oh, not only were we together in the same grad school, there were occasionally times when we were same class. <laughs> and if you you cannot well imagine that that was embarrassing for her, um, you know, and a number of kids would come up and go to her and go, "Is that your dad?" And and she's like, "Yeah," and she just would you like hang her head down, and then every once in a while she'd be like, "Dad, you talk too much." <laughs> Well, honey, you have no choice. You know, it is what it is. So, <laughs> <laughs> It really is, right? I'm sorry. I love you to death and you are my daughter. And what can I say? I am your father. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. So, 
uh, tying from that to competitive intelligence, and even this topic has been talked, you know, a lot about. And recently, you know, there's various techniques and there are tricks, and you know, people uh, have talked about this at length now. Um, who does CI or competitive intelligence really caters to? You can set up a CI team pretty much to do. There's like two major functions, I guess I'll say. You can set them up normally to do one or both. Um, Often you look at the sales teams themselves and you're trying to facilitate sales enablement by making information accessible so that the salesperson has pretty much what they need in order to establish the viable relationship with the prospect to then put out the right value propositions that seem to resonate with the prospect and hopefully ultimately close the deal, right? And that's where the selling techniques come in. It really is uh, an objectionable situation for the sales people who, you know, they're having this conversation with the prospect. And then the next thing you realize, the prospect asks a question about maybe the competition or some other feature function or something like that. And then the salesperson goes, you know, I don't know the answer. I have to come back. Right. It's like the conversation stutters a little bit. And then you have to do some research and the person has to come back, schedule a meeting, all that kind of stuff. It would be much more useful to have a well-educated salesperson or I should say a well-informed salesperson, be able to handle those kinds of, you know, short uh, interruptions or those uh, objections, you know, handling those around a competitor and stuff like that, and be able to continue the conversation and and continue working on the successful, you know, relationship building that's obviously underway. The other thing that competitive intelligence is often used for uh, is to support product definition and I'll say market analysis and stuff like that. And you can compare then the customer perceptions of whether or not a, a, a competitor's product is really fit for purpose. How well is it adopted in the marketplace? Uh, you could look at their sales methodology and, and say for yourself, wow, we are selling widgets. So for example, I used to work um, at a large storage company, uh, I should say uh, IT uh, hardware technology company and we were selling IT backend you know servers and storage and software and all those kinds of things and so we're selling widgets right you're selling things that go in the data center and we would look to say wow how effective is this what am i looking at for a discounting price you know what am i looking at for bundles and stuff like that but even as a sales methodology we were primarily direct to customer as opposed to some of the other competitors who might be through a partner you know, so channel directed sales and the like. And then you could look at other kinds of things like, you know, subscription models and those. kinds. So there's a lot that the competition has to teach you if you can study them from that perspective. Right. Why are they successful in a certain area or something like this where maybe you're struggling and then you're thinking, wow, I could steal a page from their playbook and either look at how I influence the product, how I influence pricing, how I influence positioning for for the product overall. So one side is sales. The other side is, I'll say product pricing positioning activities that is that is such a profound you know a thought and as you were even talking in the pre-interviews people think about competitive intelligence as to like oh they're here to steal my market or you know let me see what can i you know learn or whatever they're doing and let me snoop around and see if i can you know see what they're doing and and i can kind of attack that or it's like you know win lose kind of mindset what I'm hearing from you is like a win-win mindset. Like if they have figured something out, you know, go learn from it. You know, if the market is big enough, there's opportunity for everybody. Yeah. So that's a great observation, Meadle. I mean, 
look, if you don't want to serve part of the market, somebody else probably will, right? And so if you choose not to serve that market later on, you really have nobody to complain to if you know, all of a sudden you realize, wow, I really wish I'd done something there and I just didn't. Well, you know what? You left the door open and everybody else went in. That's on you. Um, to look at what your competition is doing, why they are successful or why they fail is the same thing perhaps as uh, the old saying, the early bird might get the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese, right? So many people have tried and failed to make a new market and stuff like this. They spend tons and tons of capital in terms of trying to establish new marketing messages or maybe even rebranding and stuff like this and changing the mindset overall of the, the customer base that's out there. Um, and the second one that comes in basically can leverage all of that. Okay, great. Maybe they're more effective, right? You, history is full of this kind of stuff. Let's look at Apple versus Macintosh back in the 80s, right? Why wasn't Apple really ever successful at selling desktop computers back in the 80s? That's because everybody had this mindset that IBM was going to do it, right? And no one was ever going to shake their faith on that. Um, you know, the iPhone was a, a radical departure on everything. Was going, nobody had seen anything like that. And boom. So, um, it's a the competition has lots to tell lots to teach you look at the way athletes actually deal with you know how they compete in in the olympics and stuff like that yes everybody wants to be the fastest guy on that particular day or the fastest one in the world um but you know every day you sort of have to you have to train you have to observe you have to practice you know what are you good at work on your strengths you know minimize your weaknesses it's kind of obvious but um, competitive intelligence is really about ultimately business self-improvement. That's, that's fantastic. So how can, how, you know, if you know, audience who's listening to it and they're thinking about competitive intelligence, they're doing it at some way, some, some form and fashion, every business is doing it. Yeah. I know they have to, how do you measure an impact of productivity and effectiveness? If you are building a CI team, uh, on business or sales rep? So we're back to the idea, you know, are you going to, so am I, uh, so I work for Salesforce now. I lead part of the research and data arm of, you know, a team that actually I support 15 of our competitive intelligence colleagues. Uh, we're actually supporting an enormous uh, partner focused and externally uh, driven sales team. Um, even in this time of COVID, right, we're looking, we're seeing an enormous number of customers approaching us and asking us questions about how do they make the digital transformation partly to support a you know remote work sort of scenario and stuff like that okay so some of this is obviously about positioning and product you know and fit for purpose and how all that works and some of this is around selling motions and stuff like this we tend to sell on the subscription right you buy the software basically by licensing it on, on like per month if we focus on the idea right if i want to measure sales enablement versus the product stuff right Think about all the things that you could measure in the marketplace, right? How many times, you know, are we engaging with, you know, the number of customers, you know, the number of prospects or what's our lead conversion rate overall, right? That's kind of somewhat in our control. And you could look at that from product and pricing and positioning and stuff like this and look at those kinds of things. Or you want to look at sales enablement, particularly, you know, if we're seeing, if you're in a heavily commoditized marketplace and there's lots of big competitors. So I formerly worked for Dell. Um, you know, and obviously you would expect that the big Dell competitors would be folks like Hewlett Packard Enterprise and IBM. Or, um, we were actually partnered with Microsoft, but, you know, 
there are days when it's you're competing and days when you're cooperating. But anyway, so the big ones are out there. And if you're in a heavily commoditized market, now you have to find ways to sort of differentiate yourself from the rest of the pack. And if the more you can give the salespeople the messages on what those things are, and I really submit that that's the responsibility of product management and product marketing and stuff like this, to give the sales teams those differentiators so that they can use those as leverage. Then you can measure how well they work. Do the sales teams sell faster? You know, if they leverage those differentiators, do you see them selling on a faster sales cycle than perhaps average? Are you seeing them with a higher average deal size? Are you seeing them uh, with uh, perhaps a higher percentage of compete rates when also successful closures? So for example, when we did the study, looking at our sales teams, we would give them, arm them with the necessary information about the competitor they were walking into in their deal and their prospect, right? And we'd have a little strategy session and, you know, educate them and give them the, the tidbits that they needed. And ultimately over, you know, when we analyzed this over an 18 month period, we noticed that fundamentally the sales teams that leveraged this information availed themselves of it and, um, you know, basically would go to the competitive intelligence reference desk and walk in and get help. These guys were closing deals, basically 10 points higher probability of close than average. They were closing them two weeks faster and 20% higher average deal size. You add all that up and that was like, you know, nine figures of additional revenue for, for Dell um, in a one-year period, simply by selling I wouldn't say smarter, but selling more informed, right? You are no longer having to, you know, interrupt your conversations with the guys. So a well-informed sales team can have massive amounts of uh, impact on corporate performance and revenue and stuff like that. And when that kind of success happens, well, then you have a lot of other opportunities to, you know, invest in other parts of the team, give them more training, um, look at the value propositions, et cetera, like that. Very interesting. So essentially just saying tangibly, right? The the amount of time it's taking you to close a deal and how fast you're able to close a deal and there's a direct impact on your bottom line. Yeah. So two weeks faster is fundamentally 10% faster. That means the average salesperson now has 10% more capacity and can close 10% more deals. Oh, he's closing on average. He closed, you know, 10% of his deals are more likely to result in a win. By the time I'm doing it 10% fast, you know, so I have 10% more capacity. I'm just, you know, as opposed to the 20 we actually saw, 10% faster, 10% higher probability of close, and maybe even a higher average deal size. And this sales team, even if it's just a portion of it, this sales team is now adding a measurable market amount to revenue top line. I mean, we added like 2% overall. It's an astonishing wow. effect. Yes, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I, you're basically saying, dear average, you know, dear salesperson, right? What if I could tell you that you could close 10% more and make 10% more commission and 10% more dollars without trying any harder? Yeah. How many salespeople are going to want to are not going to want to do that? And now that is the other part where, you know, for those people in sales that's like, mm, you know, I'm too busy, I don't want to talk to you and stuff like that. Well, then all I really have to say is that, you know, like, oh my God, you know. Bob, Sally, you know, please take a look at this. Look, Metal over here is crushing it because we're helping him. Now, unless you, you know, you don't want to do that, that's up to you. But, you know, we'll focus then on helping the ones who want to be helped. 
And then no salesperson wants to be last. Heck, they don't even want to be second. Yes, yes, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So what are some of the tools, resources, data sets that you know, you're using, you're sourcing the CI intelligence from? We, um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's out there, right? So you can look at sales effectiveness. Now, generally, you have to be sort of clever about the nature of how you extract that data uh, overall. Now, most of the time, sales uh, teams will use some sort of CRM, sales CRM system. Salesforce, for example, is a very common one. I work for Salesforce now, so you know, fair disclosure. Um, but you might actually ask, you know, for example, all right, how many times does this particular salesperson go up against competitor A, excuse me, competitor A, and how successful are they when they do that? And now, are they better, are they higher or worse than average? If they're higher than average, or maybe they're even like in the top 5% of all salespeople competing against competitor A, then I want to say, wow, how do I take that and turn that into training, you know, for everybody else? Um, so you're going to look at a number of actionable metrics, right? Engagement rate, number of at-bats, right? And so treat it like Moneyball and... How many times does he get on base? How many times does he get a hit? How many times was it a double? Um, all of those kinds of things. Look at, you know, does he have to do, because he's better informed about the nature of the product, he can sell the value propositions or extract those things or make a contrasting, comparative, persuasive discussion with the prospect. Now he has higher value, uh, more effective value propositions. He can sell basically at a higher rate, right? He doesn't have to discount as much. Okay. Look at all of those kinds of things. You add all those up both for the entire field, and then you start breaking them out and slicing them a little bit. And I said that would be the first actionable thing you could do, just at least on the sales teams themselves. Now, remember, none of this data is useful if you won't take action. So if you're not really willing to recognize that you're going to change behavior and change thinking based on these data analyses, then you are ultimately wasting your time. So work with the executives, work with the sales teams and basically say, look, you know, whatever the question is, right? You know, do I need to know if you're selling fast? I'm going to do a sales analysis on average deal size and, you know, who's more effective. Your first inclination would be like, this is a cool project. But at the same time, you also need to say, if I answer this question for you with data, what behavior are we going to change? and get the commitment from the sales executive that says, look, I'm going to take the top superior championing sales reps that go against competitor A, and I'm going to turn that into a training course. I'm going to make everybody take it, right? It's a commitment. It is not unlike uh, going to a psychotherapist and they say, wow, you are going to you know, pick some action and you're going to commit to changing for self-improvement, right? Because if that executive, that sales executive is not really willing to, you know, self-improve, then we are all wasting our time, right? You should go do something else. Do the same thing then with the product teams, right? Why, you know, survey customers, you could do double blind studies if you have the um, capital to basically go out with those kinds of things. Find out what the net promoter score is. See if any of that has an attach rate, you know, um, overall. Look at your lead generation process and see how often that converts to sales qualified opportunities and the like, uh, your conversion rate, you know, and and analyze basically your product, its degree of fit. Uh, look at how well customers, you know, 
complain about it, in fact? Do you see escalations arising, you know, in the service department that seem to slow down, you know, subsequent sales overall? There's, there's no end of interesting data questions you can do, but you must have the commitment that if you answer the question with data, that they, they commit to improving, you know, doing some sort of business improvement. Mm. So essentially analyze, you know, your, your, your current customers, your best sales guys or salespeople and see what's working, create a course, create a training out of that and double click on it and, and whatever's working for them, take it and impart that knowledge into other people and build it up at well from there. Absolutely. Right. So I'll give you a, a quick story. Right. So we were and I was in a meeting with the SVP of sales and all the other executives. And he commented, he's like, I don't have a problem with this particular competitor. I beat them three to one. And I'm like, well, actually you do. The team seems to struggle more often with them, you know, in terms of losses. When we lose, it takes us, we spend 30% more time in the field trying to close those kinds of related deals. And I was basically pointing out the idea that of all the, you know, looking at the win rate and the loss rate compared to a win-loss ratio, right? So when you say three, you know, I win, you know, three out of four deals every time I go with compensator A is different than saying, wow, out of all the wins, this competitor is 10% of my wins, but out of all of my losses, he's maybe 30%. Once they understood that, then they were taking a look, so, well, fine, what do you want to do about it? So we did a training course. And over time, what we noticed was actually we became highly effective against the competitor dealing with their objections, dealing with their FUD and their uh, placement and stuff like this. And so ultimately what it got to um, one quarter was we had we had superior number of competes. We were just crushing it, but it turns out one quarter we made no money. And what was happening was that the other guys would see that we were coming and they would discount so heavily and take the deal off the table before anything could happen that um, the deal you know, basically we were scorching the earth without even trying. Um, and so you know at one at that point the SVP of sales is like. Ugh, this is fabulous. I have them on the ropes because they can't make any money at this, right? So sooner or later, they either got to directly compete with me or, you know, I'm just going to push them out of the way. So, he, you know, it's a fabulous sort of success story overall, actually. Even though even though after that's, three quarters, we made right. no money. <laughs> just, just a bizarre thing. Yeah. So Matt, you know, our audience that's listening right now and somebody thinking about CI or, or, or starting something or, or, you know, how to build that, what are, what are some of the best practices or recommendation would you give it to people uh, to start, uh, start following today? Yeah, so I think the first, the best practice that I can give you is always, you know, find someone uh, in the executive sponsorship that will agree to make a business change, right? So you'll probably have to run some amount of analysis up front and, and say, wow, if we, you know, I am noticing that people who compete against competitor A in the Americas tend to not do as well as against, you know, the Europeans are doing against competitor A in, in you know, in Europe. Um, let's analyze why that's happening and take those lessons and incorporate them so America's performance improves. There are very few sales executives that won't at least give you a interview period or, you know, I'll say an audience to listen to that particular claim and depending on what it is you're asking for, right? But when you're talking about helping them improve and then getting their commitment that whatever the analysis is, they will work on it, 
um, with you to sort of improve the business overall. That's what executives do. So never, you know, always walk in there also with an ask, but ask them as, you know, to join in this, you know, as a partnership for self-improvement. Um, the other thing is, that I'll, I guess I'll suggest here is don't just analyze data for data's sake, but have a, have a hypothesis about what it is you think is going on and why it's happening and try to prove it or disprove it. And um, last thing I think I'll say is related to the idea around the visualization or the data analysis, right? If there's nobody who's going to change anything, right? I've already harped on this. If there's nobody who's going to change any behavior, you are wasting your time and find something else that's probably more valuable and go make a change. Because otherwise, an analysis that you know nobody reads or a paper that nobody reads is not very compelling and it's not very fulfilling. You you will feel much better about what you are doing and frankly, you know, increase your job security. Um, simply by working with everybody to make the business improvements that are necessary. So um, a best practice. Um, best practices should always be start with a question, um, get the commitment for change, and network ruthlessly, right? Ask a lot of questions. Talk to the sales reps. They know why they win or lose. Ask them for, you know, treat every win or loss as like an after-action report. Find out what's going on. Honestly, by the time you've called 20 reps and had, you know, post deal interviews 20 times, you are an expert on exactly what is going on out there, probably better than the salespeople are. And then leverage that, pay it forward. Now, here's a, here's a tip, right? So here's an example. If you're using Salesforce or anything like that, right? And there's like this trigger mechanism. Imagine if you had this short battle card, you know, one page document of all the best things to know, right? I'm going to arm you. I'm going to arm all the sales rep with this one page thing like talks about here's competitor A, here's how they price, here's how they position, here's what they do, here's the good things about their product. So don't don't complain about those. But here are the bad things about their product. Feel free to cast dispersions and throw mud pies over there. Now, every time in the CRM system that that rep identifies a deal or associates that deal with a given competitor, boom, the system says, oh, by the way, did you know there's a battle card for that? You ought to review it. Here's where you go. You have taken the opportunity then to put a piece of information right there in the hands of the rep that allows him to compete more successfully. The other thing that you've done without them knowing it is you have gamified your system, right? They now treat the sense of Salesforce is particularly um, noteworthy for this. A lot of sales reps simply just don't want to put all the information into a system like a, a CRM system, like a Salesforce, because it's onerous, right? They don't get anything for all of that effort. They are notifying their management about how well they're doing and, you know, how the pipeline and the funnel and stuff like that are working. But, you know, in terms of helping them close the deal, there's no real benefit to a sales rep for doing that. It's just an audit tool. Now, Take that to a different level and make it so that every time they interact with the system, they get something valuable back that helps them close a deal. Imagine what the uptake is from the sales teams at that point that says, wow, I identify, you know, primary competitors now. Oh, what's competitor A? Boom. Here's the battle card. Oh, here are the people that recently just did, you know, competes against competitor A. Oh, here's the local expert. Meadle Shaw is just the expert. Here's his phone number. That kind of thing. 
can you imagine what the uptake is from the sales teams on interacting with the system and actually supplying data? Because now they get useful information out of the system when they put useful information in. That is fabulous. I think that's that's really that's really a key exciting. one. Yes. I'll, I'll give you with I'll give you that one. Yeah. yeah. That's a key one. That's- Everybody should be doing that. Right. Absolutely. If you're not sending triggers out on that stuff. Now, as a competitive intelligence team, right, you're sending out a battle card, you better keep that battle card up to date. Right. Nothing loses credibility than out of date battle cards. Nothing loses credibility than something like, wow, I sent you the wrong thing. Ugh. Don't do that. <laughs> wow. Well, Matt, thank you so much for all these amazing insights. You know, I'm sure our listeners are really going to love it. Thanks for being on the show. We really enjoyed having you on the podcast today. I so enjoy talking with you, Mito. Feel free to invite me back and thank you for having me. We will do so. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. You bet. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us and share these insights with your peers.